Seth. I'm Scott. And, and I'm Viet. And we are track walking. Um, today we have a motorcycle guy. Our first like real motorcycle guy. I convinced Scott that motorcycle people are people too. Really? And we should have a motorcycle person on the show. So it's, I invited it's your my show friend. Too. Well, no, it's our show, but yeah. it's yeah. So I invited my friend uh, Viet Tran. Um, to join us today. How are you doing, Viet? I am. I am. I'm great. I'm honored to be the first motorcycle guy on the show. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, you have to do a good job. Otherwise, we can't have any other ones. I'll do my best. I'll do okay. My best to represent. Thank you. So I'm going to do. I actually took notes. This is how pro I'm feeling about uh, oh motorcycle stuff God. today. So you, he only does this when he's really jazzed about a topic. So you should feel pretty honored. I'm, I'm super excited. I'm very flattered. I'm excited. So. Most of this is actually me doing my worst introduction in the world, which is kind of my thing. That is. Um, um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna do my worst introduction in the world for Viet. Um, so these are the things I know about you, Viet, and you can uh, totally. I'm I'm actually building uh, a thing here, which I will eventually tear down and then climb into your brain, and uh, and it'll be fun. Step one: so, uh, you own a minivan. <laughs> True. Yeah, but the minivan's awesome. Nailed it. True. We'll get to that. So, uh, Viet immigrated with his family to the U.S. when he was five, which is a cool part of the story. He did super awesome in school. Um, that led him to college, where he taught people to kick each other for points. Yep. Um, then he did a good job in California. Got a great job in California and raced motorcycles in a class where everybody tries to knife each other during the race. Yep. Um, then he moved to Houston. He discovered that racing kids' dirt bikes on go-kart tracks is the ultimate expression of motorcycling, uh, where he met me. And uh, that's basically where we are. Is that like a reasonable introduction? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's reasonable. I, I also spent some time in New York and Washington, Seattle, between California and Texas. So Yeah, I didn't of- even know this about you. I'm a terrible friend. So, no <laughs> really, so really, besides Florida, you've lived in the corners of the country. Yeah, yeah. I like to think I've lived in some of the best places in the country. It's been it's been pretty awesome. Yeah, for sure. Texas. I mean, let's. let's I, I said slow some down of the best. Bit. Okay, some of the best. <laughs> That's fair. Not, not all the fair. best. <laughs> so let's do. I want to do a really quick thing because I haven't even asked you this in person. So how did you get from your family immigrating to the U.S. to Corpus Christi, right? Which is yeah. not like a, a cultural bastion of the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to, I mean, I don't I don't know how far back you want to go. But essentially, my father was a military officer, and there was a there was a, a refugee program after the war. Um, and in, in the early 90s, they allowed for military officers from the South Vietnamese Army that were kind of being persecuted um, to bring their families to the United States. In the United States, you had to have a sponsor. And my half, my older half brother, had fled on. He was one of those boat people that fled, um, and he he made it to a Philippines refugee camp where he was there for like two three years. Then he had a sponsor, took him to San Antonio, Texas. And then he was just working on an air base in Corpus Christi as a technician. And that was how he was able to bring us over to the United States. So it's really crazy, wow. convoluted way of getting to the U.S. But yeah, that's how we landed there. Yeah, That's awesome. 
that's it's I feel like this this helps uh I don't know your story is phenomenal so you went for, you must have done very well at school because you ended up at some like super good educational yeah. institutions yeah, I, I, I went to Stanford for for college and, mm. and the okay. joke is the joke is how do you know if someone went to Stanford the answer is they'll tell you so, yeah. so right. wait wait five, <laughs> wait five seconds but the most interesting thing is you told me you, the way you told me about you went to Stanford was not like, Oh, I went to Stanford. It was like, Oh, I, I was like part of the Taekwondo program at Stanford. So you dropped yeah, like Stanford uh, and kicking people for fun in yeah, one uh, phrase. Yeah, yeah. So we grew, so we grew up in the, in, uh, in the government subsidized housing or just housing projects in, in, in Corpus Christi. And my brother and I were the only Asian kids and then uh, we got jumped one day after school. I was like seven years old. He was six years old and we got jumped. And my dad being like ex-military guy, he actually saw the fight unfold. And I think he just like watched it to see how we do. <laughs> and then the next day he signed up, he signed us up for martial arts school. So that's kind of how it started. And we ended up just um, kind of competing a lot growing up and then uh, joining uh, our different university teams. So I went to the West Coast. My brother went to the East Coast and yeah. fought for our, our, our colleges. Yeah. Now, these kids that jumped to you, were they like yeah. your age a little bit older or are we talking like teenagers jumped to you? Oh, no, teen- uh, no, no, not teenager. Our, our age, our okay. age. But it's pretty rough, man. It's yeah, pretty rough. seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Corpus Christi is not, yeah. <laughs> kids are the worst. Yeah, they are. They really are. God. That's true. <laughs> so you ended up in Cal- is California where you started motorcycle stuff? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would say like my origin story with motorcycling was that like, I think the second movie I ever saw in America was Top Gun and the scene <laughs> nice. where Tom Cruise, you know, on his Kawasaki oh, yeah. um, and then the jet, the F-15 Tomcat flying, taking off in the air um, or F-14 Tomcat uh, it was kind of like, to me, it was like the definitive American thing to do. And so that kind of, you know, embedded that seed. And then um, right behind uh, campus um, is this really beautiful mountain road. And there's a restaurant called Alice's Restaurant. And on the weekends, it's like the motorcycle spot. And so during like new student orientation, we had rented a car and just drove around to see the sites. And we came about Alice's restaurant. There was, I think, over 100 motorcycles, 150 motorcycles. And I was like, you know, this is what I'm going to do when I graduate. And then so after graduation, like it was my mission to to get on a bike. So made it happen. (laughs) And you started... Like when people start doing bikes, a lot of people like go to the dealer and they buy a bike and they ride around yeah. on the roads. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're, com- you seem to have some sort of compressed time scale between like, I think motorcycles are cool and yeah, yeah. I'm racing in oh. completely insane 600 classes at Willow Springs. Yeah, yeah, type yeah. So, so, so essentially what happened was like the first year or two of just riding on the street. Um, I, I actually, I think I, I think I low sided in the mountain roads probably three or four times just because I was a piss poor writer. Um, I would target fixate on the wrong things and I would kind of like freak myself out. I was actually a horrible, horrible writer. And then I ended up watching uh, MotoGP at Laguna Seca. Um, I think it was, I saw Marquez, you know, Rossi, Pedrosa, all those guys uh, for the first time in, in person. And it just like blew my mind. And I realized, wait a second, it isn't just like a, a, a form of commuting, but it's actually a skill and a sport and, you know, a, a, a skill to develop and, and hone. And that like immediately after that weekend, I signed up for a track day and that kind of snowballed and, and got me involved in, in AFM for, for road racing. Yeah. I'm At a very that. amateur level. I'm seeing some yeah. ties with the, uh, the martial arts already. Yeah. 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 Yep. yeah. You don't seem to do things like 
halfway. You, oh, if you do yeah. something, you really want to do it well, right? Yeah, that's that's generally my that's generally my uh, my mo, I suppose. Yeah, I, and I think there's a lot of uh, to me, when, especially when I was just starting track riding, I felt like there were so many parallels with martial arts because it's all technique. You can't brute force yourself through through anything. You'll get to a certain point and you'll kind of hit a dead end. Um, and for for motorcycling, just as it is in martial arts. Um, it really, you have to have like a scientific mindset to it. You have to have an approach to it and you have to really appreciate the technique and, and accept that, you know, it takes, it takes time and it takes practice to hone that skill. And I think for me, like that progression is, is really exciting and, uh, and martial arts and motorcycling to me is almost exactly the same in that regard, minus the massive budget difference, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you coached some martial arts, right? You yeah, helped- yeah, yeah. Yeah. And do you think that helped you just understand as a student of motorcycling that coaching was important from the beginning? Because a lot of people don't, I, you know, yeah. it's, it's hard to convince people they need coaching, yeah. right? Yeah, I think so. Because, because I think teachers themselves have a student's mindset. And uh, I had, you know, after after graduation, I stuck around with the, with the program and I ended up um, coaching a lot of a lot of our beginners, people that just started out. So I was very in tune with what it's like to be that beginner constantly. And so when I my first six track days, I think I pretty much pissed off the entire like track day organizers because I would find a coach and make them go out with me nearly every single session to help me work on something. Like I, I would almost refuse to go out with, without instruction. So I like, I obsessed about technique from the very, very get go. And I was like, I know I'm starting from zero and I really want to learn. And I want to learn fast. So, and I'm not going to assume that I know anything at all. And so I took that mindset that I had in my previous martial arts training and just applied it right into motorcycling. I think that helped me grow as a rider um, relatively quickly. Did you know you wanted to race? Uh, I think I wanted, I just had goals in terms of, um, can I, can I keep up with the, with the advanced writers in a track day? And then I had made the inquiry to one of the guys that I was, was, um, learning from. And I said, you know, should I consider racing? He said, and he, he just told me like the purpose of racing is to win. And if you want to set yourself up for success, then, you know, have certain milestones to work towards. And then once you've hit that goal, or, the, or those milestones, then then consider racing because the truth of it is that racing is extremely expensive sport to do, and so I think he was looking out for me because I was you know in my early twenties and uh, and I had to be much more you know mindful, um, and so that kind of put, that that kind of encouraged me to be patient about the learning, and then once I I hit a certain milestone, that was when I'm like okay I'm ready to go and and, and that's when I jump right into further racing. In, in that program, they really want you to, to be up to like a certain, I don't want to say up to speed, they, not literally, they, they but they, yeah, yeah. They, I think for them, they recommended, like, if I wanted to contend for like a top three spot in that, in that super sport class 600s, um, they were pretty blunt there. Like the, the, the friend that I had that was helping me out, um, he, he had been writing forever and he was coaching forever. And he said, like, if you really want to be there to be at the front of the grid, um, then you at minimum be, you know, mid pack in the advanced group with the other racers at the track days. Right. Cause then you can kind of gauge where you are and where you'd stack up in the grid. You can race almost any time, right? Like you can get your license relatively quickly, okay. but I wasn't interested in, you know, being back of the pack. I wanted to be at the front. So I put in that time to, to, to build the skills before I jumped into my first race. How long did that take you? 
Um, I think one dedicated season of track riding to get to where I needed to be to to start um, to do the the racing for AFM. So what it like? How many days? Like, and and well, I'm comparing this. Like, I'm comparing this to car stuff because oh, oh yeah, you know, um, because car. Yeah. Week, you talk about how expensive bikes are, but but car yeah. weekends. I tell people, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, if if you're in a car, yeah. you know, it's going to cost you. The entry fees are going to be you know between three and five hundred bucks for the weekend. Right. If you have to travel, it's hotels, it's tires, it's wow. gas. You know, yeah. if you've got like if you're going to track a Mustang and you're going to do weekends, it's going to cost you a grand every weekend. Yeah. You know, and yeah, it's, yeah. that's it. Thousand bucks for the weekend. Yep. And so yep. you have to figure out how many thousands of dollars at a time yep. you can spend yep. to do that. And usually when people go between the, you know, I want to start tracking to the, I'm spending a thousand bucks a weekend. Yeah. Their brain sort of melts out their ear. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, because I've always just been programmed, like if this is my mission and this is what I want to do in my life, I reconfigure my life so that I can do that thing that I really want to do. And I would make the sacrifices everywhere else so I could live that passion that I wanted to live. Right. And so, um, so yeah, it was explained to me, you know, like, like Dave Moss, for example, like he's a suspension guy in the motorcycle world. I asked him like from the very beginning, like how much, how much do I need to set aside for, for racing a season with AFM? And he said, you know, for like a 300 or 400 class, I think it was 300 because 400s didn't exist at that time. Uh, he said, you know, a thousand a weekend. Right. And I was like, okay, well then, you know, just cut costs wherever you can to make it happen. Um, I had a very, very kind friend who donated um, a 1992 Honda Accord with like 200,000 miles on the odometer. Um, he, I, I wanted to pay for it. And he was like, no, you can't pay for it, but you can buy for a dollar. So I, I bought it for him for a dollar. And that was my tow vehicle for my first season was this old beat up Honda Accord. <laughs> so, God, that sounds delightful. I, yeah, exactly. It's the, the, the racer experience through and through. <laughs> So from there, you raced there for a while. Did yeah. you ever, a lot of people find racing discouraging once they get into it. Yeah. Um, and you, you talk about the plateaus and when people plateau in racing itself yeah. and Scott's seen this with some of the racing he did, yeah. like you, you go, you come in with the idea like, I'm going to be awesome and I'm going to win. And the reality of that a lot of the time is, the people you're racing against are as dedicated as you and as good as you. Yeah. And you know, you, it slaps people's egos. Yep. Um, did, did you ever get to that state where you're like, dude, this is hard. It, I think it's, it's, it, it was, it was, well, first off, I think it's exhilarating. Like the first, the first, uh, the first time I ever tried it, I think it was just like, Oh my God, this is where I need to be. This is what, this is exactly what, you know, I want to do with my life. Um, and it, this is like amateur club level racing, you know, novice class. And, but it's still, you know, th that thrill and that sense of fulfillment and, and mission. Um, it's amazing. But I think um, immediately it became clear, like there's this huge skill ceiling, right? There's this, this gap between where I was and the folks I kind of like admired from a racing perspective. Right. And, and, and then there, there's, and then you realize like, holy shit, there's a lot of work that you got to put into this. Right. Um, and then at first I did like pretty well in the, in the, in the season, um, for that first season. And then, and then you, and you start to see like, this is a big world of lots of people that do this. And, uh, and there's this, the other people that are equally dedicated or more dedicated than you are. And, and the skill is just, is tremendous. So, uh, it's at one time at once it's daunting, but it's also on the other side of the coin. It's also very inspiring as well. 
for sure. So you did that for a while and then you moved to Houston. Well, what happened was um, when I was one of the race rounds, we were getting ready for a Sonoma race round. And uh, I was coming out of the carousel, which is like turn six, I believe. And it's like this huge drop. Um, and it was just a practice day. It was literally Friday practice uh, before the race. And uh, I actually got taken out by a, a racer on an SV650. And I was on a Ninja 600. So I was trying to, you know, gas out of the turn harder. And uh, he kind of swooped into the racing line. And there was a kind of a freak accident. My front brake lever got stuck on his leg and his the bodywork of his of his bike and i was about doing about 120 miles an hour as i was passing him and it basically locked the front brake and i actually ended up somersaulting over the motorcycle and then my airbag my airbag deployed so it saved my head and my back and all that stuff but then my leg kicked around really really hard and uh basically like i was able to walk away from the injury it had it had torn a hole through the suit through the undersuit and i have a scar on my tailbone basically that's still from that day uh and then uh a, about a week or two later i actually ruptured my achilles completely and so oh, wow. yeah then that and en- that ended the season right there straight up um and so i ended up having to do uh operation to to to, to put in a, a cadaver and and all that stuff to fix the achilles um and i just i quit like I, I packed up everything. I was like, you know, this isn't like right now. It wasn't because of the danger. It was just, I literally, I physically could not walk anymore for like half a year. So I just like, I, that ended my season um, and a bunch of other kind of life events outside of it happened as well. And then I was like, Hey, maybe it's time for me to live that other dream, which is to live in New York city at least once in my life and, and make that a reality. So I took that as a cue and I kind of made that happen. And did you, so you just sort of like shelved motorcycles? Yeah. That, I thought that it time period. Yeah, I, I thought it would be really, really difficult. And at first it, it was um, to say goodbye to, to the community because I, I like I was entrenched in the in the in the Northern California community for track days and stuff. You know, my friend and I, we, we, we rented out Thunder Hill and hosted our own track day. And uh, we were deeply in love with the whole community and, and what we were doing there. Um, but I also felt like it was time for me to grow as a person and try something different, too. Um, so it was like ripping a bandaid off, honestly, to walk away from it all. Um, so I did shelve it. I, I, I moved to New York city. Um, and then I, I took a few years off, uh, from writing and in New York, I tried to do the writing thing. I went and bought like a triumph street triple and just ride around on the streets and, you know, and then, uh, and every time I'd park the bike somewhere, like come back out and someone, someone would have like, you know, knock the bike over or something, you know, it's just terrible. And, uh, I, I didn't have the budget to like rent a garage. It was like 400 $500 a month just to park a motorcycle somewhere in Manhattan. I was like, I'm not doing that. And so the, it, it kind of ended because, uh, well, um, what happened was I, it came out of my apartment one day and someone had literally run over the motorcycle as they were backing up on it. So it totaled it. And so I was like, well, I guess I'm not riding in New York. And so, you know, just, uh, insurance paid out. And then but after about a year and a half, I actually got moved for work from New York to Seattle. And so then I was like, okay, maybe I'll try again you know, with the motorcycling thing. And so I got, I got a really cool Aprilia Tuono factory. And then, um, then I realized, wait a second, it rains nine months a year. So like literally rains nine months a year. So then (laughs) I did a few rides here and that I did, I did a couple of track days, um, you know, and I just tried out again. Uh, but it didn't really click because, because the the climate's so terrible for riding, um, year round. 
Um, and then fate would have it, you know, last year we moved back to Texas and then I needed something to do that was outdoors. Uh, and then, uh, I was like, wait a second, maybe, maybe this time, you know, third time's a charm, I can make motorcycling stick. And I think it's stuck pretty hard now. So, yeah, I think a lot of us are, are really nervous about leaving our community. Um, I know Scott, you know, I don't want to say his whole life is based around this community of racers, but I mean, what would you have to do if you walked away from, could you do that, Scott? If I needed to, yes, but I would need a compelling reason to. Um, it's it's one of those things like it's it's akin to dieting, and they've done so many mental <laughs> research and all all sorts of studies that uh, just saying I'm not going to do this is not an adequate reason, and people yeah. will not stick to that. Just saying I'm just not going to do bikes bikes anymore. I'm just not going to eat sugar anymore. Like that's, that doesn't work. Believe me, I know. Um, but what you have to have is you have to have a, an overriding compelling reason to do something else. You have to fill what that was with something else. And it sounds like right. what you did was that you didn't say no to motorcycles. You just said yes to this opportunity to go live yeah. somewhere and do something different. And it would take, it would take something equally strong for me to leave the car community. Exactly. Yeah. I, I made the best out of a really shitty situation after the, uh, the, the getting taken out at the track. And I decided that it was, all, it was, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't ride. Um, I think I was in a boot for over half a year and I was like, I'm not going to wait around for life. And so, uh, so I decided to move to New York and fulfill a different dream. So now it sounds now, forgive me. I hmm? I don't know you from a hole in the wall, except you've got a very pretty face and you uh, you apparently very good at uh, riding bikes. Um, but the, it sounds like you're skipping over. Like, was there like a bitter week that you had where you were just pissed off at the world? How, I mean, how it, personal do we need to get? Like, how, how I mean, much, this, how this sounds way too here. like. Oh sunshine is, and butterflies yeah no, this is this is what we do via by the way okay okay if, if you, if, all right if this is unfiltered if this is unfiltered um so basically literally the week after i had my horrible accident i uh, i had a breakup with a girlfriend the startup that i was at started to collapse oh my god Half of our customer base left my dad got really sick uh my car got broken into uh, like this is like within a three week span after the accident of having ruptured my Achilles. And I was like, I don't know what the universe is trying to tell me, but I think it tells me I should do something different and just make a change. And uh, yeah, I, I had a dinner with a, with two very good friends and it was like a, a really heart to heart kind of conversation. Um, I'm very, uh, it, there's this Boz Luhrmann song about like, uh, it's about recommendations for like high school graduations. And one of the, in, in the song, he says, um, live in Northern California, uh, live in New York city once, but leave before you're too cold, uh, too hard and live in Northern California once, but leave before you're too soft. And I was like, wait, I've done the Northern California thing. I've, and I really, really want to do the New York thing. And at that time I was like, okay, enough things have fallen apart. Let's, let's do the New York thing. So I, I want to ask you like two main questions and that's like, how many bodies did you bury? And then how much alcohol did you drink like after that week? Cause that sounds, 
I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I've, yeah, I've, no, I've had like, I, I can't say to like that level. I've had, I've had bad weeks. Yeah. And those like, especially for me and my personality, like that feels like a bottomless pit, a black hole yeah. that I can never crawl out of. But it yeah. sounds like you had at least a few friends that you were able to go talk to. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, I think when you're in the lowest of lows, like I really hope everyone here and everyone listening has like a friend in a network, a support network, right. Even if it's just one person where they can kind of just talk to and, and, and process what's happening because sometimes like when it rains, it pours. And in, when you're in the middle of it, it just does not seem like it's going to stop pouring. And, and it's just like random, like I, I never thought about getting my car broken into, but it just happens. You know, some guy went down the street in San Francisco, shattered every single car along the way. And my car just happened to be there. I was like, are you freaking serious? Like after all this other shit, but it happens, you know? And then, uh, yeah, but I hope that we all have the support that we need to get through those kinds of moments. So when you decided to get back into bikes, you're in Houston and, and as somebody who moved from the North to Houston, hmm. Houston's bleak like recreationally bleak if you've yeah. done you know when i lived up north i rock climbed and i skied and so everything recreationally i did went away poof instantly when i moved yeah. to houston yeah and that was really hard for me yeah um so when you decided to get back into motorcycling yeah. what, like how did you chase that? Cause I so, know where I met you, but I don't know exactly how, I, where I was in that sequence of events. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened was, um, uh, I've always been a bit crazy, but, uh, when I was living in Seattle, I had decided, Hey, I really miss my AFM racing friends from California. So I called a few guys up and, uh, I was like, yo, meet me at Thunder Hill. Let's do a track day together. I haven't ridden with you guys in five years. And so I drove, 12 hours down to Thunder Hill um, with a bike and rode around with the guys. And it was fantastic just to see everyone again. We got rained out one day and then we, we rode another day. Um, and then my friend Elliot was there. He was my racing buddy and he, he raced uh, the 450 class. The cripple triple is what we called it. You disabled one cylinder in a four cylinder bike. So it becomes 450 instead of 600 cc's. Um, and I was like, how am I doing, man? Like, I'm feeling pretty good on the bike. And he's like, Viet, you're like 10 seconds off pace. And I was like, no, (laughs) he's like, you're literally standing still. And I was like, it was so humbling. And so then I I had a long drive back up to Seattle. I was like, okay, what, like what went wrong? You know, like I thought, I didn't think it would be that rough after, you know, not having sat in the saddle for so long, but it was pretty rough. Um, And then uh, when I, when, when time came for me to move to, to Texas, which was another life event, essentially, yeah, another life event. And uh, I decided, hey, let me swing by California again to see the guys. And so Judy and I drove from uh, from Seattle down to California, down to Los Angeles and across to Texas. And along the way, we did a pit stop at Stockton Kart Track, um, which is where a lot of the California racers now train on mini bikes. And so Elliot was there. He brought his KX65 and I rode it. And I was like, wow, I feel like a motorcyclist again. Cause you know, like it's, it's a hard bike to ride when you first, when you first start on it, it was really fun. And so I just bought the bike off of him, threw it in the U-Haul and then drove it to Texas. And then, so then I looked around for cart tracks in Texas that would allow for a mini bike. And that's, that's how I met you at, uh, at Katie. So I took the, the KX out there and that's how we met. And no offense, but you were pretty bad at it. Like oh, initially. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Thanks. It's a, it's a humbling, humbling machine when you first sit on it. Yeah. So Scott, for reference, the the bike he's talking about is is literally when I talk about children's dirt bikes, this is this is a sixty five cc two stroke bike designed for like seven to ten year olds to ride motocross on. Yep. Um, yeah. Sounds like my speed. Uh, yeah, no, maybe, maybe they'll have like 12 to 14 horsepower or something like that. Yet. 17. Come on. 17. Those. Okay. Yeah. yeah okay. Sounds, sounds like more, plenty. More, more plenty. than a Grom. More than a Grom. More than a Grom. Yeah. So it's, it's essentially you. So imagine if you come from a world of like, like driving Camaros and Mustangs and somebody puts you in like an old formula 440 car and you're like, yeah, I know how to do this. Yeah. And and you've seen the 440 cars, right, Scott? Like those tiny little formula cars, the snowmobile oh, yeah. engines in them? Oh, yeah. It's the same thing, but it's not the same thing. No. No. I, that I believe wholeheartedly. Yeah. Um, and so that was fun. But so along, so this is where I'm getting to the whole point where, where I uh, actually invited Viet to be on the, on the show. Mm-hmm. Yes. Along the way, you said something to me that was, I don't say it was profound, but it was a really big thing. We were just sitting there and you said, you know, motorcycling adds value and happiness to my life. And that's enough to justify it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Can we just end the podcast right there? I mean, (laughs) that's, that it, that's something like from the outside in and it's like, it's like your little stupid kid brother or sister. Like you're allowed to say that it's dumb and it's a waste of money and everything like that. But if anybody who's not a part of that says that, like you're allowed to punch them in the face, <laughs> like motorsports is dumb and we all know it's dumb, but we, we say it's dumb for a very different reason than people on the outside say it's dumb. Yeah. Like people on the outside think that it's like morally less than like spending your time doing other things that it's somehow this lower form of hobby or things that we can be doing with our time. We say it's dumb because like cars and bikes are objectively stupid and they don't like to work a lot of time and we know how much money we spend on it. But we do that because it's actually an amazing thing that brings people together in better in ways, like you said, that are better than, we would have been without them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that for me getting to the point where I can say that was also uh, like personal growth too, because truth be told, a lot of what pushed me for racing 600s when I was younger was ego, right? It was, it was, it was part of that as well. Whereas like, I just wanted to prove that I was good, but then like, then you realize like, wait a second, like, what was that even about? Right. And, and, and what it is, is joy, right? It's joy and a sense of fulfillment and that, personal satisfaction when you set a new personal best, right? Um, as cheesy and corny as it sounds, it, it's you who you're racing against at the end of the day, it's yourself. Um, and so I think I've, I've gone to a point now where it's like, yeah, I can honestly say that I just love writing because I love writing, right? And, and, I, and I'm happy to be there. So along those, uh, along those lines, be- between when I met you and now, you really have wholeheartedly embraced that idea that, that this is worth it. Yes, absolutely. Um, and you were recently uh, in Spain. Yes. Uh, I, I'll, okay, I'll share more. So basically, um, I, I, love, uh, I love 
MotoGP as a sport. I love spectating it. And uh, I've always been curious about what it's like to own a, uh, a GPS bike or a, a race ready bike that wasn't, you know, you, you, not a bike that you take off of a showroom, like a, like a Yamaha R6, which is one of the bikes I have. And you, you know, strip off of the headlights, all these sorts of things and, and build it into a track bike. I wanted a bike that was built from the beginning, from birth and conception for the purpose of racing. And so KTM announced a partnership to make uh, what's called an RC8C, and it's limited to 100 in the world. And the first 25 customers um, were invited to Jerez in southern Spain, which is this MotoGP track. Um, and part of that experience is you got to do uh, a track day with Danny Pedrosa, who's a former MotoGP rider, as well as uh, Mika Kalio. Um, who are both uh, MotoGP test riders for the KTM factory team. Uh, and so we got to meet with them, uh, have dinner, uh, get to know them a bit, and then do a day of riding in Jerez on our KTM RC8Cs with Danny Pedrosa. So it's absolutely unbelievable experience. And Scott, for, for reference, like for people who are only in the car world, that would be like you, you raced Civics and Mustangs and all of a sudden you're like, dude, I want a Formula 3 car. And so you bought a Formula 3 car and you went to Europe where they delivered it to you and you had current Formula 1 drivers like show you around a Formula 1 track in Europe. That's the the level of Viet jumping all the way in and going, dude, I'm going to do this. Yes, yeah. Yeah, I was about to say, I don't think that's, uh, I don't think that's feasible. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I no, think that was, that was embracing the, the joy thing, right? It was just like, what what is the like the purpose of life is joy and experiences and, and it's a privilege to be able to do it. And, um, you know, and I, but it was easy because it was like the right decisions, I think, uh, come to you in seconds, right. You don't have to mull over. It was the right decision for me. And I, it was easy to make the decision. So and we're very, very, very lucky that we got it because those, those first 25 spots sold out in like a minute and 10 seconds. So very, very lucky. Um, one other thing, oh, I have a couple other things I was going to do. Um, when I met you, mm-hmm. you seem like kind of a crap mechanic. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> is that true? Or was that just yeah, the impression I got? True. That's absolutely true. I think I was trying to adjust to like being back in Texas, right? Like my entire mission as a child was to leave and live all over the world. And, you know, I, my original job that I, that I was interviewing for was with the CIA. You know, I, I, I envisioned this life of, you know, living abroad and, you know, doing all these sorts of things. And the next thing you know, I'm like, I'm back in Texas. It's full circle. Like what the hell happened? So I think that was a lot, a large reason of why I was so crappy. Okay. Cause you've gotten better. Like every time, it seems like every time we talk about terrible kids, dirt bikes and how they want to explode and do all of those things, you're yeah. like, you've, you've thrown yourself into being a pretty good mechanic at stuff. Thank you. <laughs> How's that? Like, did were were you a mechanic on your own stuff when you were racing? No, or? no, we had we had a friend who was who was a mechanic that became like our team mechanic. He dealt he did with everything. That was horrible. So 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 why yeah. the transition? Like, because uh, there's no one around that's going to work on your KX65 unless you do it yourself. <laughs> so that, <laughs> it's definitely a requirement. <laughs> Nobody wants to work on your crappy kid's dirt bike. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Um. That's most of my list. Uh, yeah, you uh, went to Spain and rode with Danny Pedrosa. You're a crap mechanic. Um, you have phenomenal philosophy Thank at you. doing this because it's a joy. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about? Uh, like, I, th- I mean, I'm, I just, I just, I'm curious about 
where this is all going to go. And I'm trying to figure out where I want to be in terms of the community, right? Like actually yesterday I hosted about 20 people at the track just to be able to take them out there. It was a huge privilege and, and it was really fun to just do that. And I love introducing the sport of track riding. And uh, I kind of want to see if I can grow that role in the community more and more. So we'll see, try to figure that out. Yeah. So you're, you are one of those organizers, like I fundamentally am. as a person. I am. Yeah. I love bringing people together. That's what I do. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think the, the thing is that uh, I did this a lot in the martial, I, I think it maybe it started with martial arts because I, I just, I, I love sharing my passion with people. Um, you, you might be able to tell because uh, you know, it just it just brings so much joy in life for folks, and and I think the the other fun thing is is discovering people that didn't even know that they would love something, you know, and and helping them, you know, find that and discover that, and that's that's a thrill for me. Um, and so for for uh for for motorcycling specifically, you know, like we've I'm sure we've we've all helped friends like get started in in the sport of like track riding or or driving, in Scott's perspective, um, but uh, but I think that. For me, track riding is it's not just about competition or sport necessarily. It's also about safety and helping people learn how to operate their motorcycles better so that they can be more competent on the road if they do road riding um, and so that they can be safer while they're riding as well. And, and, and helping people find that appreciation for technique. Um, that's a big part of what motivates me to kind of spread the lore of, you know, or the, or the, the purpose of track riding. It isn't just about competition. It's, uh, it's about becoming better at operating that the machine. Um, so, that, and then the other thing is that like motorcycling, like any other super high skill, uh, sport or, or passion or, or hobby, whatever it is, whether it's car driving or, 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 um, or motorcycling, uh, the more skill you have at it, the more fun you have it, you know? And, and I think, um, and it's, it's always sad to me to see people, you know, ride a little bit and quit because they kind of got scared of it in kind of the wrong ways. Um, and wrong ways being that like, it just wasn't, they didn't get an opportunity to try to learn in a safe environment. And I think that's what track riding provides is like that safe environment where you can learn at your own pace, um, without a lot of these external causes that could, that could harm you. Um, so I like, I like sharing that with people. I like bringing people to the track a lot and, and I love sharing it. And I think that what you said that the track is the safe environment to learn. I think that is still something that seems very strange to people. Yes, absolutely. Because you go to the track to drive fast. You drive, right. go to the track to take chances. Yeah. Um, and while, we can't say that's not true. You can easily look at the statistics, especially with motorcycles yeah. and the injury death rate on public roads versus tracks is yeah. significant. Yeah. Even the same with your car on the highway, you're much more likely to be involved in an incident on the highway commuting when you're not expecting it than you are at the racetrack. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, I was still doing a little bit of street riding when I was racing California. And you you realize right, right away, like after you do a lot of track riding, that like there's no reason for me to push as hard on the street at all, like whatsoever, right? I have this other environment that encourages me to go fast and it's built so that I can go fast safely. I'll do it there. And when I'm on the street, I can just 
enjoy and you know smell the roses enjoy the sights and and just uh enjoy other aspects of writing as well and it's not just about going as fast as you can so um yeah i, I think that's a that's a good call out how do you think minis and go-kart tracks fit into this whole yeah crazy world that you're in right now yeah i mean i obviously am i've become a big advocate for it you know i, I brought so many of the guys that that we've met recently into mini writing and we just did our first mini endurance race which was hilarious hilarious fun um and i think the other part is that uh for me it's like again it's it's about learning for me and so when i see you know like a moto gp rider and the vr46 racing academy use ovales and use mini bikes to practice i'm like if these guys at the pinnacle of the sport are using these mini bikes to train. That means I should be using those mini bikes to train. Right. And so um, I think I've been, I've been a very vocal supporter of using minis as a, as a method of learning. Um, and, and it's, it's quite frankly, a lot of people uh, quit track riding because of the costs, right. It, it's a very, even, even without the racing part, just the tracking part in of itself can be very cost prohibitive. And so we tell these guys that, you know, like you can get on a mini bike for a fraction of the cost of a big track bike. Um, you can do a day at speed sports or, or a go-kart track for far less, and you can still learn the same principles and practice in a very similar environment. Um, and those skills do translate directly over to the big bike. And uh, I think it's a great tool to learn. What do you think, Scott? Like, uh, do we wish we had a car equivalent of that? Miatas or something? B-spec. Or well, I'd... I'd I drive a Miata. You watch your tongue. Um, <laughs> um, no, I think I think honestly, like Sunday Cup, Sunday Cup is the thing, man. Um, I mean, Adam Jabe just got back into a Honda Fit for the first time in well, a slow car in the first time. Becky's yeah. got a Mazda too. I mean, I'm literally we're talking seventy wheel horsepower, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember learning on in the same Miata that I had with stock suspension, uh, stock power. And it's really hard to drive a slow, rolly car fast. Right. Um, and I, I would argue it's still just as hard to drive a stiff, fast car fast. But the lap times drop and so it can certainly feel like you're getting everything out of it that you can. But in a slow, soft car, you can feel every little mistake. And it's just so, like, it punishes you so visibly. And so, what was it? Last, not last weekend, weekend before, we were out at Grattan doing some instruction. And uh, Becky had her Mazda 2 out there. And man, you've got to work your butt off in that car to put a lap together. And it was not the slowest thing on track, um, but it's hard because it doesn't have traction. It doesn't really have grip. The mm-hmm. brakes are okay. I, But you've got to blend all of that really. So I would think a Sunday Cup or something really painfully slow would probably be the thing. Yeah. And it has, has value. It's humbling. And it's, yeah, you learn, you learn a time. lot to when you, when you learn how to ride a, a slow bike fast versus a fast bike slow, right? I'm sure those principles apply for cars as well. Yeah. I, I love trying to wring the neck. 
like wring yeah. absolutely everything that you can out of a car. And it's a lot harder to do when that car has good suspension, uh, at least adequate power and good grip. Like it's really hard once you get faster. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, that's why I, you've borrowed the my daughter's 70, uh, Honda 70 before with three and a half horsepower because we put people on that bike and we're like, go ride this as fast as you can. Yeah. Three and a half horsepower. Yeah. And everybody who's ridden it so far gets better. Yeah. Yep. I think it's, uh, and there's, there's, so, there's a lot of ego in this world of motorsports, cars or bikes, I'm sure. And uh, it's, it's kind of funny because you, you tell a guy, you know, an adult man to like hop on this little three horsepower bike and go route around this track and, and try to do it well. And it, it, it's pretty, it's pretty hilarious how humbling it is. Um, and the other thing is that you can on, on underpowered vehicles, you can work on slightly different things like on bikes, particularly like for, for something like that, it really forces you to have great body position. So you're not dragging the pegs everywhere. And so teaches you to keep your toes in, which is a, which is a problem that I had, you know, when, when I first met Seth, he, he used to make fun of me in photos, like my toes are sticking out like goofy, like, you know, like, like, like a duck or something. And then when you ride this little bike, like literally made for children, um, there's not much room between the, the, the pegs and the ground. So you have to learn how to keep your toes tucked in and you have to learn how to use your body position to keep the bike up. So, uh, so it, it's a great teaching tool for sure. Interesting. Yeah. So be it. You're doing. Do you, is there anything you want to like uh, promote? Because you're doing oh. things now, and we oh. let we we, um, we let guests uh, make their world bigger one listener at a time. Since we're well, like, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Listener. So, so uh, <laughs> this is very timely because I literally started vlogging like two weeks ago. Um, so what happened was uh, Judy, my girlfriend uh, and and partner in crime, um, we decided that this year was when we were going to start like really, you know, seizing the day and, you know, living again, all that stuff. So we actually went to Italy in September to watch MotoGP at Masano, um, because it was at that time scheduled to be Rossi's last home race. And we were like, we have to be there. We cannot miss it. Right. And so we went to Italy for that. We got to tour, um, the Ducati factory. We went to this one leather shop called Vircos and they make really beautiful race suits. Um, and so we got a, a leather suit made, a custom suit made for the KTM RC8C. So it matches. Um, and then we were like, wait a second, like we're doing all these really fun things that I think would be fun to share with our friends. So then we started vlogging. So, um, so uh, yeah, so, you know, I'm, I'm trying to combine my passion of world travel with my passion of motorcycling and just sharing with friends and family and, and whoever wants to listen and join in on it. So I do have a YouTube channel now and uh you can you can find it as Moto Carrot. It's M O T O C A R O T, which is the Vietnamese way to spell carrot. And carrot is a family nickname, so that's why it's there for your family or your family. For me, for yeah. You. So 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 okay. my 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 family name is Garo, which means carrot, and uh, my brother is Susu, which is like a type of cabbage. And so every person in my family has like a like an like a food nickname. And that's what we, that's what we actually go by. <laughs> so, so yeah. So if you if you meet my parents today, um, they will introduce their thirty four year old son as Carrot. So that's literally what we go by. That's yeah. fantastic. Okay. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So please please check it out, and we'll be doing more stuff. I have a trip planned 
for Scandinavia for next summer because uh, we're going to attend the first Finnish round of MotoGP in Finland. And so um, we'll meet a friend of ours in Norway. And then I helped him buy his Ducati like eight years ago in San Francisco and he shipped it over there. And then we befriended a guy in Sweden who races minis, who has now invited us to come race in the mini series in, in Sweden. So we'll do a race in Sweden and then we'll go to Finland for the MotoGP round. So it's going to be a world traveling mini racer. Yes. That's going to be the best thing ever. It's so fun. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to see how to do it elsewhere. <laughs> see, this, sure. And this is how much of a car guy I am. I, I hear mini yeah. and I think Cooper. So I keep, ha- I keep having to remind myself. No, it's, no. It's, it's kind of ish although although the cooper s works is supposed to be pretty those are not those are no jokes right so they they aren't and just a stupid price tag on those dumb Mm -hmm. little things no doubt no doubt and admittedly like a year a year ago what you were trying to buy the mustang yeah so a year year, uh, okay so so i i was desperately trying to fill this void in my life and trying to like you know i need i need goals to like keep operating um and and to and to be fulfilled and so i was like maybe i should do track driving and so we we went to test drive a gt500 which was super badass but i'm very 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 glad that is not my (laughs) first track car because i will definitely crash that thing really really fast so you have to humble yourself and and i I recognize that so and you want to talk about consumables yeah let's talk that was gt500 Yeah, that was the conversation we had. Is via yeah. he, he asked me about it because yeah. in the in the motorcycle group that I hang out with, I'm like the car guy. So people ask me like car things, yeah, which is I still find weird. But so Viet asked me about it, and I was like, okay, look at what a set of tires costs. Yeah, and yeah. he like he like freaked out. It was fantastic. So I think <laughs> yeah, I think like I, I think you also have to. It's like it's like it's like if you were to ask if, if someone came up to you as a motorcyclist as a track day rider and said, "Hey, should my first motorcycle be a Ducati Panigale V4R?" Your answer should be no. You would definitely kill yourself. <laughs> so I think the same thing with the GT500, right? Like like it's it's the like I I am not a car driver, and uh, to jump into one of the more powerful production vehicles, I think would be a horrible decision. And and, and you'd be handicapped. Your learning would be stunted because of that. So I, I'm glad right. I didn't do that. Yeah. I do think you should drive cars on track, though. So, um, I my dream car is a BAC Mono, and so I would love to get good enough ooh. to drive one. So one day that thing does look cool. It looks pretty. Yeah, cool. yeah, that's a whole <laughs> world. Have you driven actual carts at the kart track yet? I have driven an Acura RSX at Bunton Willow, and I completely ran off track and spun out. Because I was trying to block a Skyline GTR from passing me, <laughs> going into the. <laughs> so you did everything wrong all at the same yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, I was like, "This guy's not passing me." I'm in like this RSX with. Uh, I'm pretty sure they were Costco tires. My friend lent it to me, and I completely <laughs> ran off course. And and yeah, it was it was pretty funny. I mean, it wasn't funny for him. It was funny for me. But yeah. Yeah, we need to get you in four wheels. Um, we need to talk to the guys at the track that have carts and yeah. get you in a cart. I think training for a BAC mono, like you could do cars in that direction. Mm-hmm. I almost think you should you should do carts and like yeah, the open wheel format. I think is is what yeah the me yeah because I, I like you know you you want the, it's the vicarious feeling of being air in your face and all that stuff. And so it's really attractive. It looks cool. 
Yeah, I, I've been trying to get Scott to do carts too. Not that he doesn't want to, but he, shifter carts. I want to. I want this in no. my life. Shifter carts are your leader bike. Should I do a one twenty five shifter cart? No. Should you buy a leader bike initially? No. That's <laughs> got it. Humbled. Humbled. Yeah. So, uh, but would I do uh, it have... anyway? Yeah. Like if somebody Maybe. gave you a chance to do it, you'd be like, yeah, absolutely, yes. do it. But <laughs> yeah, because also in a former life, I used to be a water skier. Whoa! And, and part of the part of my idea there is I always wanted to be on a ski that was better than I am. Right. Now, you could argue that even a crappy ski had something to teach you, but in water skiing, it's a little bit different. So Mm -hmm. I always wanted the machine to be better than I was, and that's kind of even how I've done race car things, is like I get to the point where I know what I need the car to do better, so I upgrade that thing, and then the car's better than I am, then I have to learn it and catch up. Right. But yeah, then then there's the whole thing. Well, but if you're ready, why don't you just jump in a Formula One car straight away and try to not have your neck fall off of your shoulders? Good yeah. luck. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to do some fun stuff. Both of you. I'm going to get Absolutely. both of you Absolutely. in, uh, in silly things. We'll have a good time. I yeah. Want yeah. I, the, I think the next chapter for me is is dirt biking, and uh, I'm excited to give that a go. So I've only oh, done yeah. twice now on dirt, like in a, you know, just renting a dirt bike or whatnot. So uh, I think we're gonna try to get get out on the motocross tracks and the trails out here pretty soon with Seth. So looking forward to that. Nice. Yeah, that's the other thing that I try to convince my friends to do. I'm like, we need to do more stuff, and uh, and Viet's actually amazingly easy to talk into things. So. He's a good friend to have. Well, I'm trying to, I'm going to talk Seth into coming to Europe to do a track day in Spain with me. So that's, that's the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's coming. It, it'll be a few years. I need to free my schedule up a little <laughs> yeah. bit, but, it'll be worth but it. uh, yeah, definitely want to do that. Yes. All right. You got anything else or I think we made a show. Feels like a show. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like cool seth, this all you, end, you seth, guys end things seth had <laughs> seth had all these notes he was so i did i have all prepared. these notes i just ran out of them i don't have any finishing notes i should have done the, the the motorcycles add value thing i should have finished that instead of doing that like half an hour ago well you can still you can edit it uh, that absolutely no, is not going to happen yeah we don't really do that that's not that kind of show i <laughs> no i i don't like spending time on editing if i can get away with it yeah 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 it's it's a pain i just like this whole youtube thing oh my god it's like oh it's miserable isn't it video editing is insane it's like wow and then like balancing audio and this and that yeah it's it's been it's been fun that was my that was my major in undergrad was uh video production wow and like if you could get it down to one hour of editing per one minute of content that was (gasps) spectacular Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And I say, get it down because there are many instances where, uh, it is far more than that. Right. I can imagine. I can imagine. Terrible. Yeah. Well, it's been, it's been really fun. I was really curious to see what you do here, Seth. (laughs) This nonsense. This is what I do. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I love, I love love the shared passion and it transcends how many wheels you have. You know, it's not just two, 
So two wheel people are people as well. We have souls. Yeah. Thanks for- <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> I, there's literally it's, no, it's- a poster that I wanted to get and it says four wheels move bodies, two wheels move souls. Ooh. So yeah. That sounds yeah. cool. Yeah, um, cuz it's true. It's really it really goes back to like the whole snowboarder versus skier thing where it's like yeah. they snowboarding is cooler. We we love to divide ourselves as much yeah. as possible and we we hate to see the fact that yeah, no. They're crazy too just in a very different way. For me, yeah. Like I've, I've had a very different experience with bikes in my life, uh, Mm. in that I was a hospital chaplain for just long enough to see what street driving on bikes, uh, can do. Yeah. And, um, just hearing more recently tales of like, you know, I, I made this little mistake and Seth slides off a bike and breaks his collarbone, but makes the real dumb yet adult Seth decision to keep riding it. Um, and it's like, you know what? I just, I don't, I don't want that in my life. (laughs) Like I want, I I want a, my, I want my 12 point cage. I want my five point harness. (laughs) (laughs) Scott wants the illusion of safety. Yes. To feel safe. Cars are uh, very dangerous as well. Yeah. But we have, we're lucky we have, um, we're riding in this era, at least we have like airbag systems and this and that. Right. So that stuff is crazy cool. I remember when. When when did those actually come to market? So so when when I had my gnarly crash, and I've got a video of it. Actually, I can send you the link. But uh, when I flipped over the bike, I was wearing uh, at the time. It was it's called a hit air vest, and it was, it was actually the company was in, made airbag vests for equestrian riders. That's where it all came from because they were breaking their necks falling off of horses. And so they're like, wait, we can also adapt this to motorcyclists because it's the same damn thing. And so it was, it uses a, a tether system on the outside. And this was back in like 2010 to nine was when we first got in the, in the States. Mm-hmm. And then MotoGP around that time started testing internal airbags um, that were, that have uh, telemetry devices to find, to, to calculate when the rider has been ejected off the saddle and I'll deploy it without the tether. And then um, Dainese, I think was the first to come to market in like the early 2010s and then Alpine stars has like um, done a really good job of doing different types of products, one for racers for the track and one for uh, street riders as well. Um, cause the, cause the conditions of deployment are different. Sure. So yeah. Cause like at the, for the track version, I think it won't deploy if you're under like 20 miles an hour. Cause it's like, Oh, that was just an accident. Like, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll walk that off. Sure. But for the street, you deploy no matter what, right? Like, cause you, you might've gotten hit by a car when you're at a standstill. Yep. Um, so, so the, the conditions are different. Yeah. yeah. But they're amazing though. They're life-saving. They're hundred percent life-saving. Well, and that's, and that's always, you know, been a thing in cars, like ever since nineties, like Hans has been, a real game changer for on yeah. track cars. Yeah. But I mean, bikes don't really have that. Yeah. Now, again, the conditions are different because you don't have this two ton chunk of steel that's wanting to go in a different direction than your head is. Yeah. Um, but it's still severe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, freak accidents happen, unfortunately, especially when it's like another bike that, you know, collides with you. You can't, there's no airbag that's going to save you from that. So did you, did you ever talk to that writer, um, that punted you? That, oh, um, so no, he kind of just wrote off. And I think 
The frustrating thing is that if I were in his shoes, I would have found me in the paddock, apologized, made sure I was okay. He didn't. And to my knowledge, he actually got banned from racing later that season for equally stupid maneuvers on track. And so the was, organization definitely you. catches on. Huh? Wasn't just you. It wasn't just me. Yeah, it wasn't just me. And it was it was this this very swoopy thing that you just don't do. It's just very, very dangerous. Um and and maybe that's the thing too is with the with the racing programs, because we're at an amateur level. Uh, maybe the you know it's not as stringent with in terms of like making sure people know what the process is and 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 the and why we do things a certain way right so um but i can tell you after that crash and it was in the community a bunch of people we did them i actually ended up promoting that airbag system for hit air and we sold like 40 of them <laughs> like the following month because yeah. we were like holy shit i don't want to die either yeah so, well yeah like um romaine Grosjean's uh, accident in F1 last year. Did you see that? In F1? Uh, yeah. yeah, the fire. The Formula 1 car that caught on fire. Oh my gosh. Yeah, um, He was in there for 26 seconds? Yeah. Uh, some Something like that. It was damn near 30 anyway. Um, oh and he came out and he had pretty good burns on his hands. And that was about it. Um, wow. and I will tell you what, in that same off season, guess who got some Nomex underwear? Um, yeah. because you, and I have a feeling like I wasn't the only one that things yeah. like that remind you, um, that this is a dangerous sport. Like if it is karting, if it is bikes mm -hmm. or whatever sport you're in, um, that there's always the acceptable, you always accept some sort of risk. Right. But you can still plan and prepare to minimize that risk as much as you can. There's a line to me between like just saying, yes, what we do is dangerous and something could happen versus, well, we're just going to see how it goes and, you know, go out right. there without a helmet, without a Hans device, with like without all this stuff. And it's, you're, yeah. you're inviting, yeah. uh, bad things to happen at that point. Yep. I think actually, I, I guess my last note on that would be um, for, I, I'm sure for car drive for, for drivers as well, but I think for motorcyclists um, it's, I see this habit of blaming the equipment a lot for crashes and because it hurts the ego when you say like, it's my fault. It's the, the rider input that caused this low side or this high side. Mm -hmm. But I will call out friends and say like, look at the video. If you have the video or think through and kind of recreate the situation and understand, was it my input that resulted in this crash? Because if you can understand what happened and how that happened, it'll make you a better, it'll make you a better rider and it'll just make your understanding grow. And that in itself will help you ride safer and ride faster as well. So um, take the time to kind of understand what went wrong and that will help you immensely. Yeah. And that sounds like it goes back to the, uh, the student versus, uh, I've already arrived mindset. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think we will ever arrive. I don't, but, but that's the, that's the fun of it. That's the joy of it is that journey that, you know, to get there, wherever that is. Yeah. All right. I think that's a show this time. It's actually yeah, a show. A, I think that's a good, <laughs> yeah, that's a great way to end it. Thank you. All right. <laughs> Seth is waiting. Are you waiting All for right. me? You yeah, no, like, you gotta go. I'm Seth. I'm Scott. I'm Viet. 
and we are track walking and we'll see you next week. Cheers.